0: Like I've been gone forever. I have. That's why I said, You have. That's why it feels like that. It's kind of strange when you're away. You get so kind of accustomed to being here, uh, you know, speaking to you guys. And then uh, I've been away for work. That's, that's why I've been away. Um, I have responsibilities in Hoover, Alabama, Covington, Georgia. Chicago, Illinois, and Vienna, Austria. So my job kind of sends me all around. I have been working in all four of those places a lot lately. I have employees in all four of those locations, and I have been traveling quite a bit lately. And what I'm about to say actually kind of relates to the the message tonight in that uh, as I'm traveling around, one thing that uh, is, is kind of cool, but kind uh, kind of not cool at the same time, is the fact that Um, I have an expense account, so I can eat whenever I want to, right? That's kind of cool, but that's kind of not cool, because every time I pass a Baskin-Robbins, I say, you know what? That's an opportunity for me that I'm passing up. I can get a a milkshake, a large chocolate shake with whipped cream and a cherry for free, um, but if I pass by the Baskin-Robbins, then that is like I'm giving up an opportunity. So, of course, I stop, you know, and... Uh, I take advantage of the opportunities that are put before me, so um, so <laughs> it is a struggle too when when you 're on the company expense account you know um, it 's kind of like well, eat whatever you want to it 's fine um, and, and you, you eat at some nice restaurants, you know, which is it's kind of it 's kind of cool, but you know after a while that gets old. I know that Mike travels a lot, he knows what i 'm talking about he, he He travels around a lot too, and you 're on the company expense account, and you 're like you know yeah it 's another steak and it 's another restaurant and you know, uh, it, it, it may seem to nice to be able to eat out in these places and all this, but after a while, it just kind of gets old, and you want to go home and eat a ham sandwich, you know, like, that's that's what you crave, that's what you desire. Um, it's amazing the, the the amount of money that I have spent. I, I know that when I travel, it, it, you know, especially over to Austria, it's very expensive to travel over there, and, and I, I'm not saying this braggadociously, because it's not my money, but it's the company's money, but seriously and in, in, in the I, l- I looked at it this year from the beginning of this year to right now I've spent the equivalent of basically a Nissan Maxima so um, that's that's a pretty substantial amount of money to uh, to <laughs> expend on travel and that's kind of what I've been doing for the last six eight months now so uh, if you're wondering where I've been what I've been doing it's a lot to do with travel for my company so I am an IT person uh, I'm an IT manager uh, for a pharmaceutical company. So that's what I do. Um, this here at Simple Church is just something I do because God has called me to do it. I don't do it. I don't, I, I don't get any kind of salary from the church for doing this. This is what I choose to do. My dream was to always be a pastor of a church where the church didn't have to pay my salary. And God has given me that ability. So I'm so thankful for that. We're going to look at, in, as we continue in the series tonight, no matter what, We always talk about what is this what that we're talking about. The thing that that is a challenge, an obstacle, something we have to overcome. Um, and, And tonight, it's interesting that God impressed upon my heart that that challenge sometimes can look like a good thing. That challenge for some people, that no matter what, can actually be something like money. Money, which seems to be a good thing to have plenty of, it can actually be a distraction and take you away from God. It can take you in the opposite direction of God, and it can become your God for many people. So I I know that some people are like, well, that's a crazy distraction to have, but it is a real distraction, and I don't care uh, what you say about how your lifestyle is right now compared to everybody in the world. You are rich. You are rich. If you are sitting here in this building, I can assure you compared to the rest of the, the world, you are rich. If you do not believe me, all you have to do is jump on an airplane, go down to Haiti, and just ride around for a little bit, and you will see, yes, indeed, you are rich. If you will jump on an airplane and go to Africa or Taiwan, you will see that, yes, you indeed are rich. If you will go to India, you will see that you are rich. Compared to the rest of the population of the world, you are in the top 1%. You, you are the rich of the rich. So if you're thinking, man, I'm not rich, trust me, you're rich. You're rich, and we travel around in, in Haiti. I can tell you when you see people bathing in a creek, uh, I remember distinctly one of the first trips we took, I saw a guy washing his motorcycle in the same creek where a lady down the creek was, was bathing in the same creek, you know, and that was what they had, so that's what they did. Um, they, there's, I mean, I could tell you story upon story of things that we saw, and people just... They don't have anything. I mean, when rice and beans is, is, is a luxury for you to have, you don't have very much. And that's the way that it is for a lot of people. As we look at our lives, trust me when I tell you, the money that you have can be a distraction. It can be an obstacle. It can be a large obstacle for you. If you don't believe me, then think about how much time you, you spend thinking about money, about your job. What does my job look like? What kind of job am I going to have next? What kind of job do I have now? Am I going to be able to hold on to my job? You know, what is my car payment? What is my house payment? Am I going to tithe? Am I not going to tithe? All of these kinds of questions. Think about how much time you really spend thinking about money. If you think about that, you will see quite quickly that yes, indeed, man, that is something we spend an awful lot of time thinking about. We not only spend time thinking about the money that we have now, we think about our future. Do I have a pension plan? Do I have a 401K? Maybe I don't have either one of those. Maybe I have a house payment. Maybe I have an apartment. Maybe I'm not, I, I'm not putting money towards the long-term plan and I'm going to have a house that I can retire in one day. And that makes you nervous and you think about that. Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I'm, I'm brand new, married, I've just got out of college, I've got a great job, and now I'm going to go buy a new car. And shortly thereafter, you buy that new car, and what do you think about <laughs> for the next 72, 84 months? That payment that's coming due at the end of every month, going, man, maybe I didn't really need a new car after all. That's one of the things, by the way, I tell every Uh, every couple that's going into a marriage um, is that I say, you know what, very soon you're going to have income and you're going to look at your life and say, you know what, I need a new car. And I will say to them, don't do it. Don't buy that new car. You will be okay with a car that is not new and you will be okay with a car that is old, as a matter of fact. You do not need a new car. I promise you if you will buy that new car that you will regret soon thereafter buying that new car. I said, now I tell you this knowing full well that you will not listen to me. <laughs> I'm only telling, this, telling you this so I can tell you later that I told you so. That's the only reason I'm telling you. It's because you won't listen to me, and you'll do it anyway. And I cannot tell you how many times I go through premarital counseling, and then all you got to do is just look about six, eight, nine months later, brand-new car, rolling up to the church in a brand-new car. I'm like, all right, good luck. I tried to tell you, but that's okay. It happens a lot. But you spend an awful lot of time thinking about money. It does have control in our lives, and it is a huge obstacle in our lives. We're going to talk about a a guy today. His name is Zacchaeus, and everybody who's probably been to a Sunday school class in their life has probably colored a picture of Zacchaeus sitting up in a tree. You know, probably sang the song, (laughs) A wee little man was he, you know, Jesus calling out to him, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. You know, I mean, like you probably sang the song in Sunday school. You probably colored a picture of a short little dude up in a tree, in the seek him more tree, right? So there's that cheesy pun that every pastor uses, right? So you, you probably en- endured a message like this. But I, 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 want, I want you to take a fresh look at it tonight, and I want you to think about yourself in this position. And I want you to realize that when, when Jesus talks about publicans or tax collectors— the, 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 the way they're portrayed in the Bible is that they're always an outcast, right? They're always an outcast in society, primarily because they've sold themselves out to the, to the Romans. The Romans are, are are in control of the Jewish people, and, and they have sold themselves out for a portion of the money that they will extort from their own people. So they're Israelites. They'll extort money from other Israelites to give that money to the Romans, and they will keep a portion of it for themselves. So Romans... or or Israelites do not like publicans or tax collectors. They're considered to be the lowest of the low. They're not actually able to go in and worship where everybody else worships or make sacrifices in the temple. They have to stay outside and look in. But the way Jesus portrays them over and over again is that they are the redeemed people. They are redeemed, and that's the way that you see them. And that's the way that you see Zacchaeus in this story. So we're going to read the story, and we're going to talk about it a few minutes tonight. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through town. Now, now Jesus has been in Jericho, and and he has just recently healed a blind beggar, okay? Now he's here in Jericho, and, and he's about to talk to a man who was a tax collector. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector, so he had a lot of money if he was a chief tax collector, he would have been over other tax collectors. They would have extorted money from, from the Israelite people, and they would have given him a portion of what they got. So he was at the top of the pyramid, if you will. He was a chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors, I said they extorted money from people. They were very ruthless kind of people in a lot of ways. Tax collectors in that day um, did whatever it took to be able to get money from people. Um, I always have in my mentality, um, you know, Matthew was a tax collector. I always have this godfather mentality, like, okay, you can't pay your taxes, I'll take your fingers kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, like that's, that's the way they were. I mean, they were brutal. They would be like, you can't pay your taxes, that's fine, I'll take your daughter. That'll be fine instead. I mean, that's the way that they were. They were, they were that kind of vicious, ruthless people, which is another reason that the Israelites looked down on them. You know, you can imagine somebody that extorts money and takes advantage of other people and does these ruthless ruthless things. They're going to be looked down upon by the other people that are having the money extorted from them. So this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. So he has worked his way up through the ranks, and now he is a chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich, so he's got a ton of money, okay? His obstacle... He tried to get a look at Jesus. So Jesus is walking through Jericho. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So here's a big crowd and a short man, so it's a real big problem, right? So he can't see. He he He's trying to get a look at Jesus, but he can't. It says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So he gets word, Jesus is coming this way and I want to see him. Now, that's pretty profound by itself. You may not think that's a big deal. He is a chief tax collector. So he is at the top of the pyramid. He has worked his way up. He is a rich man, so that means he's got some clout in society. And here he is, humbling himself to climb up in a tree. Either that or he is hiding himself in the tree because he he is somebody who is despised and maybe he doesn't want other people to see him because they he doesn't want to be ridiculed by them or maybe he doesn't want them to see him because he has you know some stature and he's got I'm, I'm, he's full of pride because he's got he's got money and wealth and 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 this would be the equivalent of like the mayor of Oxford climbing up in a tree you would think that was weird, wouldn't you? You would be like, "There's a large crowd coming through, and and here, you know, not to have anything against the mayor of Oxford, but just climbing up in, into a tree to get a look at Jesus coming through." You would think that was weird. This is a man who has money and wealth, and and why, why is he climbing up in a tree? You know. Well, Zacchaeus has. I think this is the first glimpse into what Zacchaeus has got going on in his heart. And that thing is this: is that That he needs to see Jesus. He just wants to get a glimpse of him. I think you start to get a glimpse into what's going on in Zacchaeus' heart because he goes through this effort and says, you know what? i got to lay eyes on him. I can't see him. And you would think, you know, if, if he's got some clout in the community, that he would just stand up, you know, back there and go, ah, it's fine, it's Jesus. But not him. He wants to actually be able to lay eyes on Jesus. So he climbs up into this tree. maybe there's some shame associated with it. Maybe it's like, you know what? I have extorted money from people. I have hurt people. I have hurt their families. I'm kind of ashamed of that. So he's hiding it. Maybe he's peeking through the leaves a little bit, you know, looking to see if he can get a glimpse without anybody seeing who he is. Maybe he doesn't want to endure the ridicule of somebody saying, hey, look at that idiot up there in the tree. I thought that was a tax collector. I thought, man, he bullied people around. I thought, you know, he's a short man with a big attitude, and I figured, you know, he probably wouldn't be up in a tree trying to catch a glimpse of, of Jesus. But he doesn't care about all that. He cares about seeing Jesus. See, the money, all of a sudden, is not a big deal in his life. You know what becomes a big deal in his life is seeing Jesus. Jesus was a big deal in his life, and that's what mattered most right here. And that is something that Jesus sees in him. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, can you imagine? This is a guy that you have only heard about. You know who he is. You know what he has done. In the same town, he's just healed a blind beggar. So Zacchaeus has has got some idea of who he is. Word has probably gotten out that, hey, this guy's out there healing blind people. Zacchaeus probably has some idea in his mind that, man, this could very well be the Savior that God has sent us to rescue us. And here, he's climbed up in this tree, and Jesus calls him out by name, Zacchaeus. It didn't matter how many leaves he hid behind. Jesus not only saw him, he knew him. He knew him intimately. We just talked about that a few minutes ago in The Welcome. He knows you intimately. Don talked about this last week, about the number of hairs on your head and and how your parents don't even know you that well. Jesus knew his name, and he had never met him before. Can you imagine the shock to his system? I imagine a cold chill ran from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet going, Whoa, this ain't an ordinary guy walking down the street. And here Zacchaeus is, and what does Jesus say? He says, Zacchaeus, come down. He doesn't say come down. He says, come down quickly. Quickly come down. I must go to your home today. And I'm sure everybody's looking around going, this guy? Are you sure you want to go to his house? Do you know how vicious and ruthless this man is? Do you know what he does to his own people? Do you know how he has sold his whole life out to people that are oppressing the Jewish people that are supposed to have one true God that they worship, and the Romans are saying, "You know what? you have got to worship another God, and his name is Caesar. And here, this is a man who has sold himself out to that idea, and you want to go to his house? I thought Jesus was supposed to heal poor people. Luke chapter four. Beginning in verse 16, it says, When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up and read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Zacchaeus is not poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the <laughs> oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant, sat down, all the eyes of the synagogue looked upon him intently, began to speak and told them, the scripture I've just, you've just heard has been filled, fulfilled this very day. You see, if you would have read that in Isaiah before knowing who Jesus was, and he says, man, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, you'd have thought, man, that doesn't That doesn't relate to Zacchaeus at all. But what we begin to realize when we start to look back at the prophets and look at what they've actually said, we we start to look at what Jesus said uh, when when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount. We start to look at at what poor really means. See, if you were to look at that superficially, you would think that means somebody without money. But the reality is, is when Jesus says poor, he's talking about in spirit. Blind in spirit. This blind man that he healed already in Jericho, not only was physically blind, but he was blind in spirit. And Jesus healed him in spirit, not only in sight. You see, Jesus, everything that he did as a miracle physically to heal somebody was to reinforce what he could do spiritually in your life. It was to prove that he was God. It was to show that anybody that has power over the physical body like this man has, anybody that has power over the physical world to be able to calm the waves and the wind has power to, to, to fix you spiritually, has, has the power to heal you spiritually. So when this man comes to Jesus, he looks rich, but he's really poor. And you know, you know what the, the key ingredient to this is? Recognizing that you are poor. Poor in spirit. What does that mean? Kenny, what does that mean? He talks about it on the Sermon on the Mount. Poor in spirit just means that when you look at the sum total of all that you have that is good in your life, all the things that are good, you add all of those things up and it totals zero. And you say, I am poor. There is nothing truly good inside me. There is only one that is good. And that is Jesus Christ. So Jesus points to his father says, look, I'm not good. There is only one who is good, and that is my father who is in heaven. And he said, Jesus, to, so that your, uh, your, all of your sins and all the sum total of all the things that you got good in your life, that equals up zero, it becomes the righteousness of God, and it becomes everything. So you realize that you are poor. Here we've got Zacchaeus climbing up in a tree, humbling himself enough to just get a glimpse of Jesus Jesus recognizes him, calls him by name and says, come down. I'm going to your house today. And I think, I think Zacchaeus recognizes that he's poor. Because this is how Zacchaeus responds. Verse 6, chapter 19, it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. The Son of God has called you by name. He has the power to heal people. He has power to to rescue people from their sins. And today he has called you by name. He says, I'm going to your house today. Have you ever experienced this personally? Where you hear Jesus call you by name. And he calls you by name, and you know that he's calling you. You heard your name when he spoke, and he called you, and he says, Come down. Come down. I'm going home with you today. Have you ever experienced that? And when he did, did you respond the way Zacchaeus responded? Because there's a lot of people that stay up in the tree. There's a lot of people that hear their name. There's a lot of people that that hear it comes straight from Jesus. And they know Jesus is talking to them. But God doesn't make anybody come down out of the tree. God says, come. Come quickly. And you have a choice. Zacchaeus came and he came with joy came with joy Zacchaeus recognized who he was he knew who he was he knew the things that he had done but he also knew that this was a savior and he knew that God was a saving God and today his name had been called he had been called out of the group this whole group that was surrounded and and Jesus called Zacchaeus you come down here I see you I know you. I know your heart. I know what's going on. I know what you're thinking. I know what you worry about when you lay down at night. Zacchaeus, come down here. The sad part is this happens every single Wednesday and Sunday inside this room. And there are people that stay in the tree. Do you realize how tragic that is? On this day, Zacchaeus came down he climbed down took jesus to his house house in great excitement and joy he knew something was about to happen but the people were displeased surprise surprise right a worthless sinner he's got no value he's not worth anything all he does is hurt other people why would jesus care about him why would jesus know him by name and these are people that are trying to seek after jesus right these are people who are chasing after Jesus. Do you know how often this happens? What's so ridiculous is you'll see somebody with too many tattoos or too many piercings, and the rest of the church will look at them and say, Jesus doesn't love that person. You could not be more wrong. The reason you couldn't be more wrong is because you're not a Christian. If you really believe that, if you look at somebody and say, they're not worth saving, they're too far gone, they've done too much, they're too bad, Then you're not a Christian at all. You don't know Jesus that I know. That's a whole different Jesus. That's a Jesus you made up. That's not the one in this book. There there are so many people that will look at other people. Now be careful here when you say, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that. Ask yourself have you ever looked at somebody and said, you know what? They'll never be saved. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, you know what? They're a piece of trash. They're not worth saving. They should go to the electric chair. They should go and have the death penalty imposed upon them. They're not worth saving. I guarantee you there's a lot of times we have said that in our lives. So be careful when you say, I'm not like that. Because everybody is worth saving. And there are some times when people come to faith in Christ and there are people that are following Jesus that are displeased because Jesus has called them by name. How ridiculous is that? But it happens. Right. Happens all the time. Happens in churches all over this community. People come to faith in Christ, and there are people that call themselves followers of Jesus, but they're actually displeased. He has gone to be the greatest. He has gone to be the great the guest of a notorious sinner, <laughs> they grumbled. You know what this is? jealousy am i right why didn't he come to my house man i'm a great person i do things right i've been chasing after him all this time and he never came to my house but he goes to this guy's house you know what the source of jealousy is it's pride you know what the source of all sin is It's pride you know what the source of their sin is It's pride here they are Trying to chase after Jesus, and all they can do is, is, is think about themselves. They're not rejoicing, saying, Great, this guy is gone to be saved by Jesus. Jesus is gone to dwell in the house of a sinner. This is awesome. Now they say, Why didn't Jesus come to my house? He's gone to this house of this notorious sinner. And all this guy does is bad stuff. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be set free that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the lord's favor favor has come meanwhile so they're grumbling about zacchaeus there is no gospel presentation by jesus here The Holy Spirit of God did not find it important to record that here where Jesus sat down and talked about the kingdom of God with Zacchaeus and his house. Talk about repentance. Talk about having faith. All it jumps to is right to verse 8 where it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said. So when it says, like if you look at the original language, and says he stood before the Lord. It literally means he's taking a stand. It doesn't just mean that he stood up, that he was sitting down on a chair. It means he stood. When it says he stood, he's taking a stand. When you take a stand, you're standing against something. And here Zacchaeus is standing against the way that he was. And here it says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. He starts out, and this is a guy that that was greedy. And all about himself. And now he starts out by saying, I'll give half everything I have to the poor. If you go back and read, earlier in Luke chapter 19, there's a, there's a rich man who doesn't do this. He's got too much wealth and he, he, he rejects Jesus because he's got too much wealth. Here Zacchaeus stands, takes a stand and says, I will give half my wealth to the poor. He didn't love money, did he? Not anymore. In this transformation, this stand that he took, he said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor. Look what he says. Oh, this is, you want to talk about a sinner's prayer. You know what he says? You know what he says? One word. He says, Lord. Lord. The next word, Lord. Did he confess Jesus as Lord here? Absolutely. A one-word sinner's prayer, Lord. You know what the evidence of his sinner's prayer was? His transformed life. The fact that God was standing right before him and he took a stand against his old life and called Jesus Lord, that's his testimony. And he goes beyond just saying, I'll give half of what I have to the poor because money doesn't matter to me. He says, Lord, if I have cheated any people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. So he's got half his wealth he's already given that away. What does he do with the other half? You think about how many people he's probably cheated as a tax collector. Probably talking about thousands of people. And here he says, "Whatever I've cheated them, I'm going to give them back four times as much." This comes from Exodus chapter 22 verse 1 where it says, "If if you've stolen from somebody, you go and, and if you have done it if you have done it in a malicious, vicious way, you go and you give it back to them fourfold. That's how you repay them." And here he says, I'm going to go to the max, I'm going to go to the max. Let me ask you this, this is, this is a tough question. When you turned from your old ways to your new self and you started asking yourself, what will I do in my new self, in my new life that I have with Christ, did you go to the max? Or did you do like you do studying for a test and just go as far as you need to go just to, just to pass? This is a man who went to the max. He said, I will give fourfold to anyone I have cheated. I don't know if Zacchaeus would have anything left after he did all that. You know what? I don't think Zacchaeus cared. That huge obstacle that stood in his way, it's nothing. That mountain turned into a molehill in a second. It's no longer about him anymore. It's about his Lord. And that's why he says, Lord, I will give, give back people I have cheated on their taxes. I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded. So there's, there's, no, there's no record of, of what Jesus had said, except right here. It says, Jesus responded. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. I think that when you see true son of Abraham, I want you to know, There is one thing to be in the lineage of Abraham, meaning that you're an Israelite, right? There is another thing to be a true son of Abraham, which means that you have a true inheritance to God, a true covenant with God, that you're truly in the family of God, that you're truly connected to that covenant that God made with Abraham. It's one thing to be there in lineage. It's another thing to be there in heart. There's a ton of people that are Jewish but not a whole lot of people that are true sons of Abraham. Do you understand what I'm saying? When he he called Nathanael, do you remember what he said about Nathanael? Here is an Israelite, a true Israelite is what he called him, a man of no deceit. He was a true child of God, not just one in name only. He was a true one. Here we see Zacchaeus is a true son of Abraham. And Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That, verse 10, is a summation of this whole book. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Do you know what that means? That's that's people like Zacchaeus that humble themselves and, and climb up in a tree That maybe they have a lot of wealth. That's people like us that think that we don't have much wealth. In reality, we do. reality, we've got a ton of wealth living in the country that we live in, eating the meals that we eat, all of that kind of stuff. But it's even more than that. He actually came to seek and save those that were grumbling about the fact that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. Those people that were full of pride, those people that were overwhelmed with jealousy because they wanted jesus to come to their house instead of going to zacchaeus he came to seek and save those who are lost too he came to seek and save the pharisees the one that would actually end up condemning him to death he came to seek and save the people in this room who who who, who may at some point say you know what i'm good there's I, I'm in a right standing with God and then they come to the realization at some point down the road that what I've been telling myself was actually a lie that I've really never came down out of that tree that I heard Jesus calling my name and I knew he was talking to me and I knew that he knew me personally and I knew that he knew all the things that I had done but I, I had too much pride in me to come down out of the tree Jesus came to seek and to save you For those that maybe hadn't been to church in six months, six years, never been to church ever. Maybe this is the first time you ever heard Jesus came to seek and save you. We all got a ton of obstacles. We all got a a huge mountain to overcome, but the only way we overcome it is through Jesus. With something like money, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of an eel than it is for a rich man entering into the kingdom of God. But all things are possible with God. You can't do it on your own. It doesn't go from a mountain to a molehill unless you surrender it to God. Unless you come to God, unless you humbly hear your name and respond to him, that's the only way. And that kind of transformation, that speaks. That speaks of whether or not you're a true son of Abraham, if you're a true Israelite, if you're a true uh, child of God, is that your testimony? Have have the mountains become molehills, and all that you care about is calling Him Lord? Have you truly listened to Your name when He called you, and did you really respond? Or are there still things that are standing between you and God? You can't get over them by yourself. It's only by humbling yourself and coming to Him. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He came for you. He came for me. Father, thank you so much for this precious word. Lord, I know that the testimony of Zacchaeus is one that we've heard many times. I know that there have been numerous times we've heard this this story. But God, I, I believe there are numerous times that we have heard our names called but have not responded. Well, maybe today somebody has heard their name called. Maybe your Holy Spirit, maybe he has moved in such a way that, God, they heard their name today and they recognize that there have been things that stand between, stands between them and you. And, Lord, today, God, they have seen it all just, just fade into the background. God, I pray, pray that today they would come out of their tree. They would humble themselves and say, with joy, that they're, they're ready. That they're ready to, to, to dwell with you. God, I just pray right now for any person who doesn't know you. God, I pray that they would recognize that you came to seek and save those who are lost. The sum total of this whole entire book is that, that verse. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. God, I pray that you will save those who are lost. And then maybe if there's somebody here, God, maybe they recognize that they've let things creep into their lives and, and God, pride has, has come back into their life and sin has crept into their life. And, and God, the only way that they'll overcome those things is, is through your Holy Spirit. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that they would just humble themselves and say, you know what, God, I need to remember. I need to remember, God, who you created me to be. And I just pray that you would guide me and lead me in that direction so I can be that original creation of God that you made me. Lord, I just pray right now for anybody who needs to respond. Maybe they just want to say thank you. Maybe they just want to praise your name, God, for humbling them, for bringing them to you, for calling their name. Maybe they just want to praise you for that, for saving their souls. Maybe they just want to praise you for seeking and saving the lost. Maybe somebody here has a loved one or a friend, God, that is lost, and they just want to pray for them and ask you to seek and save them. God, maybe they want to pray and ask you to move in their lives so they might be a light for you so that, God, they would see the love of Christ through them, and they would come, and they would be saved. God, whatever the case may be, God, I pray that we respond to your Holy Spirit as he speaks. Pray that you're glorified as our lives are changed god i pray that your holy spirit would move in this place in jesus name amen everyone stand